So before I get started, I want to say that God has been stirring something in my heart for a while, and uh, today we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, but what I have to tell you is that we're going to get there, okay? Before we get there, we have to wade through a little bit of some deep waters, and uh, so, so if you'll bear with me through some deep waters, we're going to get to where God's stirring my heart, but I think it's important to, to go through those in order to get where I'm going. So... Um, so just stick with me. So we, we find ourselves uh, getting back into the book of Matthew. Uh, the Can of Worms series that you heard about, that's going to be in the book of Matthew. In the Sermon on the Mount. So we're getting back to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, in May, May 5th, Pastor Steve preached a sermon from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And so that's what we're going to talk about too. But that leads to my first point. If you haven't listened to Pastor Steve's sermon from May 5th, you need to go home today when you, when you go home and listen to it. Uh, he answers the questions, who will make it into heaven? That's an important question. Okay, I might, I might touch on it here and there, but we've got to know who's going to make it into heaven. He also addresses a couple other questions about the Old Testament law and the prophets and what's the use of the law these days for us. So I want to encourage you guys to, to go home and listen to it if you haven't. And if you already heard it, I want you to maybe listen to it again. So we're going to go through the same passage, and I think there's, there's a few golden nuggets still in there that we can pull out. So uh, let's, let's turn to Matthew 5, 17 through 20. I'll just go ahead and read through that. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments... And teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just pray that you'll work in our hearts and uh, set us free by the truth. I pray that uh, you will show us your son, Jesus Christ, through your word. Father, I pray that your words are my words today, and I just ask that you will uh, give grace uh, to all of us who are hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do with these verses um, is answer a couple questions. Um, first, when will the law and prophets pass away? Second, what is our relationship to the Old Testament law now? And what should I do now? And how should I do it? So concerning the first question, when will the law and prophets pass away? Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish them. I haven't gotten rid, rid of them. But I think he says, I haven't gotten rid of them yet. He gives us two indicators that point to, I think, what the, the same event to tell us when the law and the prophets are going to pass away. In verse 18, he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the first thing is that the law will pass away when heaven and earth pass away. He didn't just pick a phrase that sounded nice to kind of make his point to say, well, it's never going to pass away. He's telling us it will. The law will go away someday when heaven and earth pass away. In 2 Peter 3.10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So there will be a day when the Lord returns, and the heavens and the earth will pass away, 
and so will the law. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So on that day when the Lord returns, we're not going to need the law and the prophets. We're not going to have to sit there and read it and say, what in the world does that mean? Because the living word of God, who's Jesus Christ, is going to be with us face to face. And we won't need the law and the prophets anymore. Those are what was pointing to Jesus and what are pointing to Jesus. But one day he's going to come back. He's going to come back. John said in Revelation 21, 1 through 3, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the day of the Lord, when he comes back, is coming, but it's not here yet. So Jesus is with us now, but it will be nothing like when we see him face to face. And Jesus says, I'm not getting rid of the law and the prophets. When he came, he said, I'm not getting rid of them. Because they're going to continue to perform their job and their function of pointing people to me, Jesus says. The law and the prophets point to Jesus. And they show us who he is until the day that we see him face to face. So if somebody says, what is Jesus like? This is what we have now. When he comes back, we're all going to know what Jesus is like when we see him face to face. So what day are you looking forward to the most in your life? Is it graduation day? Parents, is the day where those graduates leave your house and stop eating your food? Is it, is it Christmas day? Is it another holiday? Is it your first day of vaca vacation? What's that day that you talk about the most that you can't wait till it gets here? I think God wants us to be waiting for the day of the Lord when he comes back as top on that list. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, that's Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for this, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. A large portion of the hope that we have as Christians is that he came and he lived and he died and he rose again. But another part of our hope, our blessed hope, is that he's going to come back. It's our blessed hope. It's the thing that we need to hope for the most and look forward to the most. The second thing that Jesus says, the law will not pass away until all is accomplished. The fact is, is that some of what is contained in the Old Testament law and prophets was accomplished. Jesus did them and accomplished things. But the totality of it all in the Old Testament has not been fulfilled yet. Jesus hasn't returned. That's one thing. So it has not all been accomplished yet. Jesus said in John 17, verse 4, in his high priestly prayer, he says, Father, I have glorified you on earth. 
having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then in John 19.30, Jesus said at the moment that he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. So Jesus accomplished the work that the Father had for him to do on the earth, but he hadn't accomplished everything yet that the Old Testament talks about. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus has not returned for his people. That's prophesied in the Old Testament, and Jesus said to his disciples that I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again so that I can bring you with me so you can be where I am. So Jesus did not come to abolish the law yet because it points to him, and if it were abolished or taken away or burned up or, or Jesus came and said, all right, everybody take your Old Testament and throw it away. He didn't do that because we'd be missing a vital piece of God's word which points us to him. It would be gone. When we're looking at the Old Testament, John 5.39 is the most important verse when it comes to interpreting the entirety of the Old Testament. John 5.39 says, you search the scriptures. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And the Gospel of Luke says nearly the same thing in Luke 24, 27. Jesus was walking on a road with a couple of his, of his disciples after he resurrected. And it, and, he, and it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So walking on the road, Jesus went from Genesis to Malachi and showed his disciples everything about him in the Old Testament. I wish I was there. I wish I was there. So Pastor Steve told us in his sermon on this passage that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by teaching it the way it was meant to be taught. The Old Testament is about Jesus. So the qu second question I have for you in your notes is, what is my relationship to the Old Testament law? What are we supposed to do with it? What does it do for us? The first thing is that we cannot gain eternal life or salvation or righteousness through obedience to the law. That was never, ever the purpose of the law given. In Galatians 2.21 it says, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we could be good enough to get salvation and eternal life, There'd be no need for Christ to die. So the purpose of the law was not to give us salvation. Secondly, the law comes with a curse. Deuteronomy and Galatians both say, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to obey everything written in the book of the law. Is there anybody in here who's continued to obey everything written in the book of the law? No? <laughs> so we're all cursed the curse is that because we can't obey it, we're all cursed with death. But Galatians goes on to say that Christ became the curse for us. He died for us so that we don't have to. And he fulfilled the law so that we don't have to. One man put it this way, the curse of the law fell on Christ on our behalf so that the righteousness of God could fall on us, though we didn't deserve it. The curse of the law fell on Christ so that the righteousness of God could fall on us. Third, our relationship to the Old Testament law 
is based on what Jesus said in the Gospels and what he said through his apostles in the New Testament. So when, when we're looking at the Old Testament asking, what is, what is this all about? The Old Testament says, listen to Jesus. Let me show you. In Deuteronomy 18. Not sure if you've been reading Deuteronomy 18 lately. But Deuteronomy 18. Moses, uh, as a lot of the leaders of Israel did, he got up and he recited the law to the people. He wanted to remind them of God's law and God's standards for them. So in Deuteronomy 18, right in the middle of him doing that, um, God has told Moses something. And then Moses tells the people, and it's a prophecy. In verse, eight, or verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. And then in verse 18 of the same chapter, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, God says. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. So before Jesus came, a couple thousand years before that, Moses and God say that there is a prophet coming who is going to speak everything that I command him. And he says, listen to him. It is to him that you shall listen. Who's the prophet? It's Jesus. He's a true and better prophet than Moses, who spoke exactly what God told him all the time. So in this passage in Deuteronomy, the law, right in the middle of the law, and God being a prophet, using Moses as a prophet, it points to not only the man, Jesus, and what he did, but also what he taught. God said, listen to him. We're to listen to what Jesus taught. So the lens through which we look at the commands of the Old Testament not only point to the man, Jesus, but what he taught. So God tells us, listen to Jesus, listen to Jesus, listen to Jesus, listen to him. He's coming. He's coming. Before we move on in that point, the next part of our relationship to the Old Testament law is that Jesus fulfilled it for us. All of the demands of God's law, there's 613 of them. He fulfilled them all. Okay, We make our to-do list every day. It's like five things and we can't do those. Right? He fulfilled all of it. So when he said, Father, I've accomplished all that you've given me to do on the earth, he accomplished all of the commands that God had given in Moses' law. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's good news. But here's the obvious question that many people ask. So, do I have to obey the Old Testament law? Do I have to? I look at those, all those laws in Leviticus, and I don't get half of them. But am I, what am, I, am I supposed to do those? So, <clears throat> this is where it gets kind of hairy. And this is where I can ask my wife. This is where I almost took my sermon and said, I'm going I'm to pick something easier. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Um, so I, what I want to do, I just want to humbly share with you where I've landed um, at this point in my life and, uh, and over my study of God's word, um, knowing that there's other interpretations of it and understandings of it. Um, but I want to share with you where I've landed. Uh, if Christ was the end of the law for righteousness, if Romans says we have died to the law through the body of Christ, 
And it says we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. If Galatians says we're no longer under the guardian of the law, and if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law, my conclusion is that the Old Testament laws, as they're written in the Old Testament, are no longer binding for us as Christians. So does that mean we're lawless people? That, that we can just go do whatever we want? Romans 6 says, you know, should we go on sinning so that grace can abound? If God's given us a bunch of grace and says, I forgive you, let's go sin. Let's go sin really hard so we can get some more grace. <laughs> Paul says, by no means, don't go there. By no means is that what we're supposed to do. So I believe that God now wants us to be under the rule and the law and the commands of Christ. If the Old Testament says that we are to listen to Jesus, the perfect prophet's going to come. He's going to tell you, listen to him. All of my commands will be on his lips and he will share them with you. We're supposed to listen to Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Paul said that he is under the law of Christ. And he said that we can fulfill the law of Christ. We can't fulfill the law of Moses. Jesus did that. Now, if somebody wants to say that there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's some Old Testament laws that are repeated in the New Testament, so therefore we obey the Old Testament law, I won't, I won't get in a fist fight with you over that. That would be unproductive. But we can talk. We can talk. Um, so I try to think of it this way. England and America. England and America. We bo they both have laws against murder. Okay, they're very similar laws, but they both have their nuances. They're different, okay? But an American is not under British law. We here are not under British law. And people in England over there are not under our law. So the law of Moses and the law of Christ both have laws against murder. I think we're going to look at one of those next week. And each looks similar, but they have their own nuances, but the church, which is made up of Christians who can be both Jew and Gentile, the church, Christians, are not under the rule of Moses, but the rule of Christ, no matter how similar they look. Does that mean that the law of Moses is not good? No. It points us to Christ. It does a lot of things. I'm going to recap a couple things Pastor Steve said a month ago. The law is a curb. It restrains gross outbreaks of sin in society. It curbs sin. There wasn't, if there wasn't a law against speeding, we, wouldn't, we would probably not do it. But when the law came, darn, now we've got to go 65, right? So the law restrains gross outbreaks of sin. All right, All right number two, uh, the law is a mirror. It shows humanity a reflection of their true selves before God. It defines sin and makes us conscious of our sin so that we see clearly how sin has corrupted us and how we need Christ. The law number three is gasoline. It inflames the sin that is within human beings. It provokes and magnifies our sin. So when we see 65, we're like, I can go a little faster. I'll be all right. They say 72, right? I don't know. I know you all say that in your car. What will you teach your 16-year-old? All right, number four. 
My dad always said, go, go with the traffic. <laughs> go with the guy in front of you. But then he's like, but make sure there's somebody behind you following you. <laughs> so that's what he would say. All right. Oh, boy. All right, number four. The law is a tutor. Uh, it's a schoolmaster. The law of God drives us to despair of our ability to live up to his righteous demands and directs us to a Savior who did so on our behalf. He fulfilled the righteous demands. And lastly, the law is a portrait. The law of God shows us what Christ-like life looks like. It's a description of Christ. So try to say Christ-like life looks like five times. All right. So the law is good. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. So the last question our outline asks, what, what should I do now and how should I do it? Here's what God has been putting on my heart. And he answers a question in Matthew 5.19. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I believe that Jesus, the perfect prophet who God said, he's coming, listen to him. I believe he's saying that our obedience to him and our faithfulness to teach others determines whether we will be called great or least in the kingdom of heaven. So in order to understand what in the world he's saying there, we've got to define a couple terms. So what commandments? It says, whoever relaxes in these commandments or obeys them, what commandments does he want us to obey? So my understanding is at the time he said this, okay, the time Jesus was saying this to his audience, he had not fulfilled the entire Old Testament law yet. He had not accomplished all that the Father had given him to do on the earth. It hadn't happened yet. So at the time, his hearers heard 613 laws of the Old Testament. And they went, oh, like any of us would. But now that we have a full revelation of God, we've got the New Testament, we understand some more. I think Jesus is saying he wants us to listen to his commands and his teachings. They look very similar to Moses. He explains them, interprets them, repeats them. Sometimes he nullifies some of them. But those are the commands. He says, obey my commands. Teach others to obey the commands that I've given you. So those are the commands. Secondly, we're going to be called least or great in the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? We had a whole series about that um, some time ago here at New Life. But the kingdom of heaven simply is the place where Jesus Christ rules and reigns. And we have to understand that in three different, uh, three different time frames. So first, the kingdom of heaven came when Jesus came. Matthew 4, verse 17 says... From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus announced the kingdom's here. The king is here. Repent. Listen to the king. I'm here to begin my rule in the lives of people. So the kingdom of heaven came with Christ. And secondly, the kingdom of heaven is here. Luke 17, 21, Jesus said to a bunch of people who are asking him when the kingdom would come, and what, are, what are they supposed to look for? He said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor would they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
So Jesus is saying that his rule in the hearts and lives of the people who are his followers, we are living out the kingdom in the midst of people who are not in the kingdom. So we have a responsibility to reflect the kingdom of God to the people around us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can do kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven stuff on the earth. Third way we need to look at the kingdom of heaven is that it came, it's here, and it's coming. It is coming. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 12.10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So as we talked about earlier, Jesus Christ is coming back. That's our blessed hope. That's what we're to look forward to. He'll have all authority. He'll defeat our enemy and accuser, Satan. He'll come with power. He'll set up his kingdom forever and ever. His kingdom will be here forever. It won't just be in the midst of us. It will be the kingdom. He will be here, face-to-face, ruling in front of us. So the next question is, in the kingdom, who's going to call us great or least? In Matthew 5.19, it says we're going to be called least or great in the kingdom of heaven. I believe it's God. 1 Corinthians 4.5 says this, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring it to light, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Each one will receive his commendation from God. For believers... For followers of Christ, we're going to receive commendation, not condemnation. So Romans 8.1 says, There's now therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But we will receive a commendation. Commendation. In Matthew 5.19, the great thing about the least and the great is they're both in the kingdom. And I'm so happy it says that. <laughs> because our entrance into the kingdom is not based on our obedience It's based on Christ's obedience. He did it for us. It's not our work that gets us into the kingdom. It's Christ's work that gets us into the kingdom. But while we're living in the kingdom, we are doing the works of Christ. So, my question is, do you want to be least or do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, that's an easy answer. You say, I want to be great. Now, when I read this and was thinking about it, two commercials came to my mind. So, and I think I was really young in the 80s. <laughs> I knew that some of you, I get some of you. All right, so there's a couple commercials, okay? Here's an egg, and this is your brain. <clears throat> Here's the frying pan, this is your brain on drugs, and they put the, the egg in there, and it fries, and we're all like, No, and they're like, any questions? And we're like, nope, no questions. (laughs) Don't want that. 
And then the second one, second one which is like unto it, is, is the, the, the one where the guy's running and he says, nobody ever said I want to be a junkie when I grow up. Remember that one? And we're like, no, I'm not. No, who would say that? But we know that those commercials and their words could not make change in our hearts. They could make us say, yeah, that's not what I want. So Jesus is just saying, do you want to be least or great? And I think he would say, that's an easy answer. Any questions? We want to be great. So he says, how to be great. Here's how to be great. He says, obey my commandments and teach them. Teach others. He says, to obey and to teach. Here's what I want to be clear about. Jesus is the only one to ever perfectly obey. And Jesus is the one who's, who's ever only to perfectly teach. At 9 o'clock, I, I told everybody one reason, another reason that I almost didn't, just didn't want to teach this. Because in my sinful heart, I want to teach perfectly. You can ask my wife that one too. She'll slap me and say, just don't, you're not perfect. But my heart's like, if I can't understand it perfectly, I don't want to teach it. Because I don't want to look like I'm not perfect. But then God says, wait a second. Whoever said you were perfect? I'm like, okay. So he says, obey and teach. Jesus was the only perfect one to do both. Why is it hard to obey and teach? It's hard to obey because we want to obey ourselves. Our heart wants to obey me, myself, and I. We don't want to obey our teachers. We don't want to obey our parents. We don't want to obey the crummy boss that we have. We don't want to obey the government. That we think is horrible. We don't, we don't want to obey. That's not in our heart. We want to obey ourselves. And the ultimate pinnacle of obedience is, I want to be my own boss. Right? When I'm my own boss, things will run the way they should. There's probably some of you who can say that's not always the case. But that's what we're set up in this world as the pinnacle of obedience is, I'm going to obey myself and be my own boss. And Jesus said, you're not your own boss. He says, obey me, obey my commandments. It's hard. But James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How many of us sit here every single week and we hear and we hear and we hear and we hear? We hear a lot and we even think what we hear is good. We like it. It's nice. It's, it's great. It makes your heart flutter for a moment. And then on the way home, you're like, honey, wasn't that great? And you're like, yeah, that was great. Oh, wow, was it good? Did you like the music? Oh, I love the music. And then it's gone. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you're a hearer and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. So he says, obey. How do we do that? Because... Whether you have the law of Moses or you have the law of Christ or you have them mixed together, you can't do them. It's really hard. None of us have obeyed all of them. He even says if you've disobeyed one, you've like broken them all. There's some hope for you. <laughs> so, so what do we do? I don't know. How, do we, how do we obey? This is where sometimes we stop and we say, oh, I can't do it. 
Ezekiel 36, probably another chapter. I don't know if we've read lately. <laughs> Verse 26 and 27. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. That heart of stone that says, I'm going to obey myself. I'm going to be my own boss. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen those medical shows where they have to revive somebody and they have to cut their chest open and reach in and massage their heart? And that brings them to life? What if they had a heart of stone? It wouldn't work. God says, I'll put in you a heart of flesh. Then he says, I'll put my spirit within you. And listen to this. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's the spirit of God within us that causes us to obey. We don't cause ourselves to obey. No matter how many lists we make, we don't do them. So, what do we do? We read some command or law of Christ that says to do something or not do something. And we're like, I can't do that. Or at least we say, I can't do that perfectly. The next step is saying, understanding that God says, I know. I know you can't. And then allow the Spirit to say to you, Jesus did for you. And then allow God's promise here to say, I've given you my Spirit and I'll cause you to obey. So we get on our knees and say, God, I can't obey. But say, Father, but you promise me that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. You'll empower me with your Holy Spirit. And you will cause me to obey. So cause me to obey, because if you don't, I'm not going to. So the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us and causes us to obey. That's a great verse. I will cause you to obey. Philippians 2.13 says the same thing. For, it's, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pleasing God is based on God working in you. Because God, Jesus, pleases himself. He pleased the Father. It's God who works in us. It's the Spirit that works in us. It's not us pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps or whatever you want to say. Trying harder, making more lists. It doesn't work. It's reliance on the Holy Spirit. But we don't ignore that there's commands in the Bible... But the commands, wherever they come from, are to drive us to our knees in reliance on the Spirit and God's promises. So we do need to be obedient. We do need to know God's Word and seek His help. The second thing, if we want to be called great in the kingdom, we have to teach. It's not an option. Does that mean you have to teach like I'm doing up here? No, it doesn't. Teaching is just telling somebody, what has God taught you from his word? Jesus told his disciples to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's how we make disciples. Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So if we want to see more people come to faith in Christ and more Christians have greater faith, they have to be taught the word of God. They don't just need to be told, you need to have better faith. The word of God is what gives us faith. And the only thing that gives us the word of God are people teaching. It's not just going to fall out of the sky. Do you want to be great? Teach. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, And what you've heard from me, so Paul is speaking to Timothy, 
what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Here's what you do. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to, able to teach others also. Here's what I believe New Life needs. Faithful men who are willing to get up and teach. And we need faithful men to teach. Faithful men to teach what? Faithful men to teach their kids. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children and bring them to anger, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. That's a big part of it, but it doesn't mean that you just drop them off at church and say, I'm bringing them up in church. Because I got them for about an hour a week. Maybe we shouldn't say I'm bringing my kids up in church. We should say I'm bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. We need faithful men to teach their kids. Perfectly? No. We just need faithful men to say, I'm going to teach my kids. I'm going I'm to obey God's word. We need faithful men to teach their wives. Ephesians 5 compares the love of a husband for his wife, how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. The way that Christ washes the church clean is through his word. We need faithful men who will be willing to sit by their wives, read the word together, say, here's what I'm learning, honey. Or, here's what I've read that God wants me to obey, but I can't. Would you pray with me that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit in order to obey? Do we have to be perfect? No. You can ask her. I'm not perfect at it. <laughs> Just faithful. Faithful men. We have faithful men to teach in the church here. Faithful men to teach kids. Those of you faithful men who've, who've taught in children's ministry, while my kids have been here, I thank you. Teach kids. My six-year-old, almost six-year-old son the other day, we, um, he and I went up to uh, my other kids. We went to their school. We were driving home, and uh, he says this to me. Now, don't, don't be offended by this, but he says this. He's like, Dad, why, why are all the school teachers mostly women? Now, this is wonderful. And I explained to him, I'm like, well, that, they went to college for that, and that's how it ended up at that school at that time. But the longing in the heart of a young man is for an older man to teach him something. I think my six-year-old, forgive me, does want a woman teacher. He doesn't. At this point, he's like, I think he was saying, damn, where are, the, where are all the men? Where are they? That's what the heart of the young man wants. It's what he wants. We need faithful men to teach middle schoolers. I will say, I love middle schoolers. I like them. I enjoy them. They're one of my favorite groups of people in the world. I really. Okay? I'm, I'm serious. You think I'm nuts. I am. Uh, so what, let me tell you, that I've, I've told a couple people this. Um, 
over the past month or two. In the zone, which is our middle school gathering, it's the same time as Awana uh, on Wednesday nights. We've been, since August, going through the book of John, verse by verse. We're about on chapter 18, and, uh, and they can handle it. And uh, what we've been doing is we watched the movie, the book of John. It's acted out um, in a movie. You know, Jesus is played by uh, the guy from Lost. I can't think of his name. But anyway, good actor. Um, but anyway, it, we're watching that. And what we do is we take, we watch it for about five or ten minutes, and then I teach on it for about 30 or 40 minutes, and every week, no kidding, no joke, there's about 40 or 50 middle schoolers. Maybe half of them are not, they don't come to church on Sunday. Their parents don't come to church. They ride their bikes here. They, they come on Wednesday night. We start at 7. Some of them come at 6. At the end of the 10 minutes, every time, I shut that movie off. They're like, no! And they yell it. They're like, come on, Brett, just a few more minutes. And it, I just, I, it makes me smile every time it happens. Because they're, they're begging not to watch a movie. Because they're hearing the words of life. They're hearing about Jesus. They're seeing Jesus like they've never seen him. And it's giving them a vision of what Jesus will be when they see him face to face. And they've never seen that before. And there's some kids in there who don't even know anything about Jesus. We got to the scene at one point where, where Jesus was slapped for saying something to the high priest. And a middle schooler was like, is that where Jesus dies? <laughs> he didn't know he died on a cross. There's 40 of them every week saying, don't shut it off. But we need faithful men who can shut it off and then teach them what he says. We need faithful men to teach high schoolers. We need faithful men to teach young adults and catalysts. We need faithful men to teach more adult small groups. We need faithful men to teach whatever. Maybe, maybe, maybe someday you think, I, I could stand up there and teach or preach a sermon. We need faithful men to do all of that. Where are you? We need more. We've got some. We've got some great ones. Do you want to be great in the kingdom? I think by greatness, God is saying you'll be useful to him. I think he's saying you will live a fruitful life and you'll be rewarded in heaven. That's greatness in the kingdom. Titus 2, 3 through 6 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. We need older women to teach what is good. Man, I just, I envision a new life, a 14-year-old girl saying, where are the 8-year-old girls that I can teach? I envision 21-year-old college students to say, where's the 15-year-old girl I can teach how to get through college because God's word got me through that? That's what we're supposed to do. I envision those of you women who've been married 20 or 30 or 40 years finding the young married people, young married women and saying, 
Titus 2 tells me to do it. I don't know how to do it perfectly, but I want to teach you something that God has taught me through marriage, through my life, good and bad. You remember, you don't have to be perfect. Jesus did that for us. The list could go on and on there. But we need faithful men, we need faithful older women to teach people. And we're all not off the hook. We're all on that hook to obey and teach if you want to be great in the kingdom. The last part of that verse in Titus 2, uh, you know, Paul's writing to Titus. I think Paul was like, oh, wait, hold on. He said, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. <laughs> Let me tell you something. At New Life, the younger men at New Life need faithful men who are self-controlled themselves to come along and put their arm around them and say, here's how I'm self-controlled. I don't do it perfectly, but here's how I've relied on the Spirit to do it. They need that. I see it every week. They need older men to come and say, here's how to be self-controlled. There are kids. There are kids every single week, young people telling me stuff that I'm like, oh, tell your parents. They're dying. They're just they're itching for somebody older to tell them something and not just sit back and let them do whatever they want because they don't know what to do with them got to teach them maybe that's you maybe God is stirring something in your heart to say I need to teach I might need to teach maybe it's my friend I call on the phone three times a week just tell him one thing here's what God's taught me Maybe this is weird, but here, you know, God's teaching me something. I'm reading the Bible, and here's what he said. You know, it doesn't have to be preaching for 45 minutes. Maybe it's you. And here's what I'll tell you. Anybody, any of us on the pastoral staff, you came up to us and said, you know, I don't, I don't know how to obey perfectly. I don't know how to teach perfectly, but could somebody maybe help me do that? We would all, like, just... Our jaws would drop open in joy. We're here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay? Fathers, you have an amazing ministry with your kids. To instruct them and bring them up in the training of the Lord. An amazing ministry. If you came to me and said, Brett, could you, I don't know how to really do that. Could you help show me how to do that? I'd be like, Absolutely. Okay, I don't know how to do it perfectly, but I'll show you. Brett, I don't know how to I don't know how to sit down with my wife and open a Bible and tell her anything. That's really weird and hard. <laughs> how do you do that? Okay? I'd say, well, I don't do it perfectly. But I can show you how to be faithful in trying to do it. You know? If you say, I don't know how to, I don't know how to teach a middle schooler or a kid for the life of me, I don't even like him. Does he say? Does he, does he say we need people who like people? No. He says we need faithful people. We need faithful people. Are you faithful? Does that describe you? If faithful describes you, man, I'll teach you how to teach a middle schooler. And some of the greatest teachers of middle schoolers are people who don't know how to do it. They just do it to be obedient. And they see how much you might mess up or say the wrong thing or make a joke that isn't funny or reference somebody from 
30, 20, 30, 40 years ago that they don't know, and they're like, You know, I have to talk about LeBron James and not Michael Jordan. They're like, Michael Jordan? I don't know. I don't know. So we would love to teach you. We'd love to teach you. Okay? Does that mean you'll be up here preaching next week? No? But man, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to obey and we're supposed to teach. Do you want to be great? Do you want to be great? I know the answer in your heart is yes. Jesus has told us what to do. Are you in his word? Are you finding something to obey that you say, I can't, but I'm relying on the spirit of God to cause me to obey? And who am I telling that to? That's it. Do you want to be great? Do you want your life to be fruitful? Do you want to be useful to God while you're on this earth? Showing the kingdom of God to people? Do you want to be rewarded in heaven? And commended by God is great. Jesus has told us what to do. So before I pray, I just want to say, if, if, that's, if that's you, if you're, you know, if you're like, yeah, I think I'll do that. Maybe it's hard. Um, we're going to have prayer partners come up. Tell them. I'll, I'll stand up here. Come tell me. If you want to work in the zone where middle schoolers are yelling, literally yelling to figure out Jesus, Come on, I'll show you. It's a lot of fun. And I'd love to help show you that. And I know Pastor Steve would. I know Pastor Claude would. I know Pastor Brian would. Pastor Jay would. Okay, might take some time. It's hard work. But that's what he calls us to do. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. Lord, help us uh, through your spirit to obey and to teach. Um, Cause us to obey and teach through your spirit. God, I just pray that you'll help us to know, um, those of us who are in the kingdom of heaven, that we can obey you. And Lord, I just um, ask for those who may not be in the kingdom, that maybe they'll go home and find that sermon about, how do, how do I get into heaven? Who's going to make it? Lord, I know that, that we make it based on our faith in, in your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he fulfilled everything that we um, we don't have to any longer. God, I just pray you'll give us a heart that's tuned toward you, toward obedience, and tuned toward making disciples and teaching them to observe everything that you've commanded. In Jesus' name, amen.